listening to this. You are the resistance. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome to the now playing Terminator retrospective series. What is your mission? It is Judgment Day for the Terminator films as we here at Now Playing watch and review all four films in the Terminator franchise in anticipation of McGee's new movie, Terminator Salvation, opening in theaters May 21st. You can't do that. Wrong. These conversations will be spoiler-filled critiques of the Terminator films, and as the films are R-rated, there may be some mild coarse language as well. Win or lose, this war ends tonight. And we're here to talk about Terminator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael Bean, Linda Hamilton, and directed by James Cameron. This is Arnie. This is Marjorie. And this is Stuart. And we are here to talk about the entire Terminator trilogy, but I think a little bit of background information. We have all seen these movies, all three of them before. Yep. But none of us have read any of the Terminator EU. We haven't read the novels. We haven't watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles. We're here discussing the movies because, quite frankly, that show looked bad. I didn't even know there was Terminator EU other than the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yes, there's a whole series of Terminator 2 books. Really? I did not know that. There's a whole series of novels that continue, but like everything else, as soon as the next movie came out, they all just completely ceased to exist. There are things that happen between Terminator 2 and Terminator 3. And that's also the Sarah Connor Chronicles. However, the creator of the Sarah Connor Chronicles say it's an alternate timeline than the movie timeline after Terminator 2. And so it's not really pertinent to the discussion of the movies because Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Terminator 3 don't jibe. They don't even try. Mm. You know, I'm a movie guy, and that's where I mostly put my attention to. So all of the other access stuff to me, I, I it's easy for me to ignore that. Yeah. Maybe that makes me less of a fan of the thing itself. Maybe I'm not a Terminator fan, but I'm happy just sticking to the movies. No, you're a purist, kind of like I am. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like to pay attention to that stuff, and I feel that way about other movies, too, where it's the movies, and I don't need all the side stuff. Mm-hmm. The last time I was really into something that big, I think... I think it was uh, Doctor Who when I was like 10 years old. And, you know, <laughs> I was ordering Doctor Who jelly babies. Like when you're eating the food of whatever you're into, <laughs> you're there. You're into it. <laughs> I don't think they made any Terminator candy. Mm. I bet you there was a, a cereal. Yeah, probably with Terminator 2. There's always a sugar cereal. Yeah, you're right. But these are rated R movies. They don't do that many kid tie-ins. Yeah, with you're Oh, friends. but you know what? They did make toys of this. And I don't mean adult toys. I mean, like, there was, like, an action play set for children. <laughs> they knew that even though kids weren't supposed to see this movie, they did. And indeed, I saw this movie as a kid. Yeah, see, I did, too. I grew up with this. My mother was a big sci-fi geek and Mm -hmm. we watched Terminator 1 repeatedly in my house. There were like three things on the television at any given time at my house. It was Terminator, Star Wars, or Star Trek. So I grew up with this movie and I actually, until she died, I grew up with Terminator 2. We watched that all the time too. We'd have Terminator 1 and 2 days at our house. Awesome. So, but I think it really hit with Terminator 2 instead of Terminator 1. Terminator 1 was a success, but Terminator 2 just like blew it out of the park. Yeah, I felt like Terminator was something whispered about on the playground, but T2 was something that every 
everybody saw. Yes. yes. It was one of the last big movies that everyone saw. Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park, I think, were the last ones before mm-hmm. we just started getting the blockbuster of the week. Yes. Yeah. Then everything wanted to be Terminator 2, and, and consequently, you missed that since a real epic film. I guess maybe until Dark Knight. I think we can agree that one everybody saw. Yeah, I think so. Now, let's see how big of a geek you guys are. Did you guys wake up with any kind of apprehension or observe Judgment Day at all? Oh, and actual, well, I, I don't know that I remember. It's the 8th. There were two Judgment yeah. Days. There's the yeah. Judgment Day in 97. Uh-huh. And then the redo Terminator 3 Judgment Day in 2004. And no, I didn't think about it at either time. Really? No. Oh, I did. The first one. I did. I do remember graduating from film school in 97 and someone mentioning as we were uh, in, in cap and gown that it didn't matter because in a couple months it would all be <laughs> over because of Skynet. So perhaps it was just me then. Okay, maybe I'm a bigger Terminator geek than you two. <laughs> the only thing that truly has me laughing is that I do believe there is a company that has taken the name Cyberdyne Systems. Yes. And they are working on computer components and I believe they make ha-ha, robots. they're making a Skynet. And I'm like, that can't go well. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's all fun and games until the nukes are launched. Yes. All right. Let's talk about Terminator. Coming out in 1984, James Cameron was not really that well known back then, was he? Not really. Uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning. You don't remember that one with the fish? (laughs) It was great because they couldn't just be uh, relegated to the water. They actually could fly out of the water and uh, eat you. It was great. Well, that makes them more dangerous because otherwise you just don't. Don't go in the water. <laughs> I, I missed that one, huh? Yeah, it's scarier than Jaws. <laughs> um, you know what? I loved James Cameron as a kid. It had a lot more to do with his next film, Aliens. But after Aliens, I saw everything that he did repeatedly in theaters, where, on cable, whenever it came on. And I don't think I saw Terminator until after Aliens. So it was maybe 87, something like that, on home video. I first saw it around the same time, 87 or 88, on an NBA. Airing at night, you know, edited for television, full of commercials, and I found myself completely riveted by this movie and watched it the whole time then. And but I don't know if I really saw it after that until like T two time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was. It's funny. I was actually. I had a, a very uh, geeky fantasy sci fi sixth grade teacher, Miss Myers. Yes, Miss Myers. I hung on every word that she had to say. And she was very pro-labyrinth, and she was very pro-legend. And I saw those movies, but she was like, do not see The Terminator. So for many years, I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch that movie. <laughs> but after Aliens, I'm like, I got to see what else this guy does. And see, I can't remember when I first saw it. I know I was very young, and I know the idea of time travel, at, to me, at you know 11 and 12, was very mind-boggling. And I couldn't get my – I still can't get my head around it, to be honest. But And we'll get into yeah, but I remember being very frightened of Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Terminator. And we used to watch it all the time, watch this movie, because this is when VCRs were becoming popular. And I'm terrified of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just like scared the crap out of me because he was so emotionless. And the fact that this was going to happen in the future. And this was around the time of the day after. Remember mm-hmm. that movie? Oh, I was traumatized. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. nuclear war scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. And then these robots were going to launch this nuclear war and we're all going to die. And oh. 
oh my god, it was very traumatizing, but I could not stop watching. Yeah, this movie really taps into some primal 80s fears that children had, and that was that computers, which we at the one time we were embracing video games and learning how to, you know, program basic and all of that, but at the same time, they're all going to kill us, you know, war mm-hmm. games, like that was going to happen, and then, you know, Russian slash Holocaust fears, that any day now the bombs were going to fall and we would all be annihilated, probably because of Russia. See, all this movie needed to be scarier was a Russian. Yeah, and there was something about Arnold that even though he's Austrian, I don't yes. think I knew where Austria was as a child. <laughs> I just assumed it was somewhere in Russia. Exactly. That accent's all you needed. <laughs> yes, it was It was a Russian accent to me. And Arnold really, you know, he, he's become an American icon, especially now that he's your governor, Stuart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I You're- never voted for him, and I'm just going to say that. Yeah, we'll talk about that later, particularly, I think, around the time we talk about Terminator 3. Yes. The thing is, having seen him in so many movies, when I watched Terminator this last time, I was impressed at what a body he had. Oh my god, it was amazingly huge, and yeah. can you imagine the work that goes into that? That thing, you it looked like stone. Yeah. I mean, seeing him in the 90s movies, he, he downsized. No, I have to ask you guys a question. Do you remember in the early 90s, I believe, when he was in Springfield? No. He came to the Illinois State Fair to support this presidential physical fitness thing. And I went and saw him in person. He's huge! The closest I've come is I've seen his outfit from Terminator 2 at Planet Hollywood. And that thing's freaking huge. In person, the man is impressive. But Very impressive. But even in this movie, yeah. he had downsized in the 90s. In the 80s, my dear God. Yeah, he was just ginormous. And just to put it in perspective, this was well past his bodybuilding career. Yes, it was. This is not even, he's keeping himself in the shape and it's a decade beyond pumping iron and when he, you know, won Mr. Universe and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's extraordinarily hard to do. And I actually, side note here, I actually, my gym is Gold's, the original Gold's where he used to work out. And he is somewhat of a revered figure there. And I, I can tell you, a lot of the people that used to hang with him, you can't maintain that physique day in, day out. The fact that he is able to stay in training shape for decades is is remarkable because typically those guys train for a competition, let it go afterwards, get fat, and then <laughs> have to go do it again. But yeah, you don't always look like that. But Arnold, amazingly, any movie that you can follow up until maybe... Batman and Robin. Didn't he have some heart problems in the 90s? Well, you know, I think that is kind of the fallout from uh, some of the negative uh, effects of his training, which is the steroid use, which I don't know how publicized that is. But I think most people know that came to light from various times. But I I just would like to exonerate one thing. You can do the steroids and all of that and, and maintain a body for a little while. But to achieve his physique... For the decades that he did, it's a lot more than just pills and injections. I mean, you've got to really have a a training dedication that is... Well, it's impressive and imposing, which is, I guess, why he landed the part of the Terminator. Well, you know, one of the well-talked-about side effects of steroids is the uh, shrinkage. He didn't have a problem with that uh, no. from Terminator 1. No, you can see it <laughs> flapping in the wind. He's pipe. Yeah. Yeah. That was It's like a that baby elephant. <laughs> Unexpected. Yeah. I don't remember that from my childhood because I, as a little kid, you've been like, oh, there's his penis. <laughs> but don't remember that, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, he was impressive as the Terminator. What I found interesting was initially he was going to be the Kyle Reese character and they were going to have somebody smaller, not muscular, being the Terminator, which is what they ended up doing with Terminator 2. Mm. And then at Mm -hmm. the end, they switched the parts around a little bit. Mm. 
Yeah, it definitely works for Terminator 2, which we'll talk about, but I'm not sure how that would even make sense for... Well... They made him very scary as a Terminator in the first one. They put some sort of prosthetic on his head and took away his eyebrows and gave him this giant Cro-Magnon forehead that made him very scary and emotionless. Thank you. Okay. I was trying to figure out what it was about his face in this one that made him look more menacing. And you're right. No eyebrows. You're right. Yeah. That is what it is. And I wonder if it was because he was new to acting at this point and maybe he couldn't. He'd done the Conan films. That's a kind of different thing. Not much acting involved in those Conan films, I think. And because Terminators don't emote, maybe that was the fix to stop him from emoting with his forehead. Because, you know, like you just did it, Arnie, you're pondering and I saw your eyebrows go up and maybe he couldn't control that Mm -hmm. but it made him very scary with that because like the first half of the movie we're watching this going what's wrong with his forehead I can't figure it out then all of a sudden I'm like he has no eyebrows and thank you I just yeah there was something I could not I could not get a fix on what it was but I'm like there's something about his expression that is totally unique in this film that I've never seen before and it does read as robotic and Mm -hmm. I think you're right when you crinkle your forehead you're conveying that you're thinking you're you're pondering there's a there's an emotional reaction going on inside. When you don't have that, it does add to the idea that he's this block of, of metal uh, that just has a flesh exterior. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder why they did it. And they didn't do it for any of the sequels. They, he looks totally different in However, every movie. However, in Terminator 2, he was able to have a little bit of a thought process and emotion and things like that. So mm-hmm. perhaps it transitioned well. But yeah, there were definitely some makeup. Let's also talk about the most important thing between Terminator 1 and 2. He was a star, and people liked him. Yes. At, at this point, Conan films aside, he really was kind of not deemed a, a very big box office draw. Uh, and uh, this was the movie that really broke him out from sort of a action movie ghetto into more serious parts, certainly more sci-fi. Putting It really put him on the path to superstardom. So we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, he's from the future, coming back to kill Linda Hamilton. We haven't talked about Linda Hamilton yet. I think that Terminator 2 became so iconic for her. It was shocking to see her in this movie so soft. Yeah. Yeah, she was beginning of her transformation, I guess. Totally different character. I like that. And, I, you know, it's a theme... Uh, we can talk about it more during Terminator 2, but it's a theme of Cameron that he tends to take women in his movies and they start off maybe neurotic or overwhelmed, soft, uh, not sure what to do. And by the end of it, they're, they're pistol packing mamas. They are to be reckoned with and uh, they can do amazing things. Linda Hamilton in part one is very much a slasher film heroine. She's like Jamie Lee Curtis. She's... Like uh, anyone that you would see in a, in a Friday the 13th movie that lives. Uh, she <laughs> is just a waitress that wears those cheesy peach outfits, you know, a flow, if you will. And uh, by the time we see her character arc finish at the end of Terminator 2, she is a muscle-bound, shotgun-wielding uh, force of nature. Now, one thing I wanted to say about that, what you said with the horror movies, is I definitely got a Friday the 13th vibe off of this, especially when the Terminator was killing Linda Hamilton's roommate and her boyfriend. It just reminded me so much of a scene out of a Friday the 13th or a slasher film. See, I thought it was more Halloween. That particular scene was very yes. Halloween. I Thank you, Marjorie, because your segue into my biggest revelation in watching <laughs> Terminator. Is it that the music's John Carpenter? 
Well, John Carpenter looms over this movie huge. There's a lot of Halloween in this movie, and there's some Escape from New York in this movie, and there's some Assault from Precinct 13 in this movie. It's that early John Carpenter vibe. True. I hadn't thought about that. I I wrote in my notes here that I felt like the musical score was done by John Carpenter, and I've laughed several times to myself because in the 80s, we all thought, this is what the music of the future will sound like. It's all made by computers. And no, that's just what the music from the 80s sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, the whole thing is really indebted to uh, John Carpenter. Well, speaking of that, John Carpenter, one of the most identifiable things from Halloween is what, Arnie? Or Stuart? The mask? No, the music. Well, yeah. Yes. So, and the Terminator song at the beginning, the theme song, it's very iconic. Yes. I love that theme, too. Oh, it, yeah. It does stay with you. It's great. It's very haunting. It does. Yes. But the orchestrated version from T2 is what we all remember. Correct. The when you're watching T1, bass. and it's like on a Casio synthesizer, wah, wah, yeah. wah, 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 wah. it doesn't quite have the same punch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, you know, Carpenter always did come up with these minimalist themes. Yeah, usually using like just a synthesizer. And they, he was always very good at just getting you with just a little bit. And I think they really captured that here. And it's impressive. And and you also mentioned the mask from Halloween. As Arnold starts to reveal his Terminator self and his face becomes more and more fake, I was thinking, wow, you really do look like Mike Myers with just that white kind of mask. And that hair. Humanoid. Yeah, and that hair. Exactly. It really, he really did turn into Michael Myers. Uh, before he became full-on mechanical skeleton. You know what? We don't have movies anymore in the 90s and the 2000s that the soundtrack or the score is memorable. Yeah, we do. Anything by Danny Elfman, like Batman. See, that doesn't do anything for me. But Oh, it does. no, I'm going to disagree, Marjorie. Yeah, yeah, Danny Elfman does. I mean, they all sound like carnival music, but they are very <laughs> distinctive. And uh, I'm not sure who's doing that now, but I'm sure I could come up with if you give me enough time. I just can't think of a movie I've seen in the last 10 years where the music instills any kind of fear or Lord of the Rings had some that was, it wasn't fear, but it was definitely Or an emotion, an emotion or something that's iconic. And perhaps mm. it's just I don't watch those kinds of movies anymore. Yeah, it's I, I I kind of agree with you. I can't think of anyone who's created a musical score that is so identifiable with the movie and does something on an emotional reaction. I almost think some of this is marketing-based, though. I mean, anytime there was a Burger King Whopper meal for <laughs> Terminator, we heard, bum, 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 you know? And I think that it, the more it's driven home through commercials and through everything else in the other media you never walk out of a movie singing a ditty it's through all of the publicity that where you hear it again and again we went on the terminator ride or show at it's a show hollywood yeah. studios disney, disney world yeah whatever and you know you hear that music for an hour straight when you're standing in line two three mm. hours at a time actually and same thing with the back to the future music burger king made terminator i, I don't know if it was burger king but there was okay. some tie-in i was <laughs> okay i, was, I just wanted to <laughs> Double check. I'm like, wow, I really missed that one. But uh, there was a subway promotion in in part two of Terminator, but that's obvious from the... Um, But you mentioned the Terminator's hair. Let's talk about Michael Bean for a minute. First of all, I'm glad to know that post-Judgment Day, hair products survive because he comes from the future wearing nothing but cool hair. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely a future as only the 80s could conceive of it. They had highlighting too. You know, one thing that survived Judgment Day were the hairdressers. Mm-hmm. All the Aquanet 
prevented the radiation. Oh, that's not Aquanet, honey. That's definitely some expensive product. <laughs> that's like Paul Mitchell. I defer to Marjorie's uh, hair product knowledge. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, it definitely is that 80s future. You know, there was something about the 80s where they they thought everything would be spiky and angular. And, and <laughs> I don't know. It, none of that appears to be true now, but that was the vision. One thing I did not remember rewatching this movie is how much of it was set in the future. How many of the scenes from the future we saw? I thought most of my memories were from Terminator 2. I haven't seen Terminator 1 that often. And I didn't realize how much Star Wars stuff there was. And I think that Star Wars is owed a great debt in the special effects of this movie. But all of the scenes in the future where the Terminator's breaking into the bunker and the fighting, and those really held up. I mean, for 1984 special effects, I thought they did a great job. Yeah, I only remembered it as one scene in the beginning. Like, I remember we started in the future and then we go back. I didn't remember that Reese has a dream sequence in this. It's uh, He falls asleep watching cranes and all of that, and it's taken back to the future. And yeah, there's a there's an extended scene where they are uh, in the post-apocalyptic future. Uh, somebody's watching a, t- a, a hollowed-out burning television set, which I just thought was a great image of someone watching just uh, a, a TV set on fire. <laughs> and they teach us that dogs can actually sniff out Terminators. I didn't remember that whole thing at all that they are using dogs every time someone enters their little bunker to test whether they're Terminators or not. And indeed, someone comes in with the glowing red eyes and, and blows everyone away. I have no knowledge or, or remember that at all. I don't remember that part either, to be honest. It's just my memory of it is always the movies take place in the present. Mm-hmm. And I didn't recall as many scenes from the future. It was just my memory playing tricks on me. But they were there. I also really liked the style of those scenes because they were almost completely wordless. There wasn't a lot of talking. It was all, you know, pantomiming and screaming. There was just almost no dialogue in any of those scenes, and it made them really effective. Yes. Unlike Terminator 2, and we'll talk about that on the Terminator 2 podcast, uh, there isn't an over-reliance on someone narrating what's going on. There's not a lot of voiceover, and I think that's very effective, because truly, I try to put myself in the mentality of someone that didn't understand the story at, at all, and you don't know what's really going on with these people. You know it's that you know that it's about people from the future coming back to 1984, but you really don't know that Arnold is a robot until 30 minutes into the movie. You're not you don't you don't have that mm-hmm. confirmed until then, and you don't find out about the nuclear war and Sarah Connor's role in uh, the resistance until the halfway mark. I think it's very well calibrated as a screenplay of revealing that, and you really do need those flashbacks or rather flash forwards to the future at just the right time. They seem to come at just the right time to. Uh, convey what we need to know uh, as as people approaching the material that that don't know anything about it. Of course, now everyone remembering Terminator 2, we come back to Terminator nine steps ahead of the game. I also thought the script was very tight because I was looking for a lot of plot holes. And I like the fact that Reese said things like, well, we lost all the records in Judgment Day, so they don't know much mm-hmm. about ancestry, but they know Sarah Connor was John Connor's mother. So that explains, you know, why not time travel back to 1774 and find John Connor's great, 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 great grandmother. You know, in the Star Trek podcast, we picked apart the time travel conceits 
many times, and it just never does any good. Once you <laughs> open up that, yeah, it's a whole it's, can. Yeah, I, I agree, because you could really give yourself a migraine if you spend too much time thinking about the time travel, because you have, he sent back in time to protect her, but did he actually change history by becoming the father of John Connor? Or was someone else supposed to be the father of John Connor, and it just so happened he altered it? It's very confusing. It always was. Yeah. That's the way it is in Terminator. It's not like Back to the Future where you change something and start to fade into it out of existence. It, it just, it always was. That's very confusing. I mean, here's my big question about this time travel thing. How did he know to show up when she was ovulating? Because there's like <laughs> three magic days that a woman can get pregnant. It always was. How did he know? How did, did they have like advanced gynecological? He wasn't sent back to impregnate her. Yes, okay. he was. Actually, no, in a way he was because see. John Connor in the future knows very well that Reese is his father. True, but he was sent back to protect her from the Terminator as primary objective. And it just so happened. That's what he told the primary objective was. But John Connor knows that if he doesn't send... Did he know his mom was a slut? Because <laughs> some guy is protecting her. She's like, oh, Actually, let's have he did sex. know mom's a slut because yes. he talked about all the guys she hooked up with in Terminator 2. Yep. Yeah, but... She said she'd hook up with anyone who'd give her a gun. Yep. Well... She had a motive. I mean, there's a lot banking on this time travel thing here. I mean, was she ovulating? Yeah, I think, Marjorie, you're right. It's like there's something about this first Terminator that is changed in Terminator 2. But that is everything is predetermined in Terminator. You can't change the future. Everything that you're doing has always been and will always be. And that's the way it is. And there's no free will. It's not a scenario in which even though we think people are, are fighting to stay alive and do all of this, there's no way that it could be any different because everything happens for a reason. It's fate. It's destiny. It's predetermined. And these are all just they're just all actually acting out a scenario that has always been Terminator 2, a very different take. The future is changeable, malleable. We can stop Judgment Day. But in Terminator, everything that they think that they're doing is just part of the story that's already written. And one of the things, though, that makes me wonder is if it's already happened, then there was no chance of the Terminator killing her, right? I mean, what if they hadn't sent Reese back? He still couldn't have killed her then? Or right. was it just they always sent him back? Or more importantly, since we're dealing with computers and logic and all of that, why do they even bother when they know they don't have a chance? And, and exactly. if they don't go back in time, they won't even be born themselves because they are introduced the technology that creates their existence, just like John Connor sends back the person that creates his existence. It's a it's a paradox, I believe, is the mm-hmm. word we're searching for. Yes. And it's very cool the way how trippy it is. I heard James Cameron smoked a lot of dope when he was making this movie. <laughs> I, I think I it's beyond it. dope. I think it's more you need something to really enhance your thinking. Perhaps it's LSD. Mm, I, I don't know the drugs of choice, but I did hear he was a bit of a stoner uh, at this era in his career. The one thing also, though, that this movie did, it was obviously built with no sequels in mind because they said, first of all, that Reese went through and then they blew up the machine. So Mm -hmm. there was not going to be more time travel. The second thing that they said is the humans won the war against the machines. It was at the moment when the humans had turned the tide and won the war that the machines decided to try time travel. You're right. And so it was really a very closed story. Here we have the whole thing. We have the conception of John Connor, and it tells us the entire story of the future in the present. Yep. 
It seemed very nice and tight that way. I, you know, it, like you said, in Star Trek, we picked apart the time travel. Here, this all felt very tight and very well thought out. Mm-hmm. Pot or no pot. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about the fact that the robots were losing at the time that they tried this whole time travel gimmick. That 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 this was like the last recourse. I was trying to figure something out as they were talking about the post-apocalyptic future. The imagery that uh, Reese conveys is that humans get turned into machines and they do the work uh, of uh, slaves for the machines. Did you guys understand that or did that really make any sense to you or should I just wait for Terminator 4 to explain this? The way I understood it is they used the humans as slaves. They were captured by the machines and forced to work kind under of like the threat a, of death. I, I got like a Nazi camp kind of thing out of it, you know, like a... A work camp. Yeah, okay. where... You, you worked because it would prolong your life just a little bit before they killed you. I couldn't figure it out whether it was like personal computers or like, oh, you want me to do all this addition? Now you got to do it. And I'm going to sit here and drink this. <laughs> yes, soda. they have big factories of people doing math. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, is this just a role reversal? Are, are they mad? Do, do computers think <laughs> they're enslaved? Uh, do they want to uh, Do they want to lie on the couch sometimes and, and, and not have to think? I don't know. I couldn't figure out exactly why robots had a beef with humans and and what it was that they wanted out of humans. But with Skynet, I took it as it saw humans as imperfect, decided that... We can do it better than you. You guys don't know what you're doing. But what I didn't understand, to go back to Stuart's point, is why they didn't just build more machines. They obviously can churn out gunships and Terminators and all kinds of things. Couldn't they turn out a few cleaning droids? Because he said that humans were made to move the bodies. Well, wouldn't it be much easier just to kill all the humans and make some more droids to turn out the bodies? I think that's a human perspective, Arnie. Robots wouldn't see it that way. They they want humans to do the work that they used to do, I think. I suppose it is more efficient to reuse currently available resources than develop new ones. Yeah. It's all about efficiency for computers. Uh, yeah, it's the the future is which is I guess the premise of this new uh, McG. It's going to be a trilogy. Is that what we're hearing? That this. Oh, is... I didn't know it was McG that did it either. McG did it. You know, I think that they're just making the one, but they're hoping. You know. No, I, I actually I have confirmation that part five is in development. Really? Yeah, they got a, they've got a script working, and, and uh, my understanding was a couple years ago, they wanted to do, because everyone's doing trilogies, they wanted to do a future trilogy. My point is that I am curious about how undeveloped the future world is. Even though we spend some time and we get a sense of the quality of a life for a someone in the rebellion, I don't really quite understand uh, what the conflict is. We just are meant to go with the base feeling that uh, robots are not to be trusted. That's a common theme in a lot of Western science fiction movies. Hal will, will, will not open the pod bay doors and the computer from War Games will play a game by killing everyone. It's just very common to think of computers, machines, technology as cold and anti-human. Well, this was around the time when personal computers were first making their way into the people's homes. And if you listen to a lot of what Reese says, it's building a distrust of computers because this is a new technology. And I imagine it's our, maybe our grandparents felt about it like people do now about the Internet, about how our parents feel about the Internet. You know, they're going to steal your credit card numbers and wipe you all out. Mm-hmm. But 
there were he was preaching the fear of the defense network being run by computers and everything will be tapped into it. Mm-hmm. When now you're like, well, yeah, that's how it is, and we don't even think about it. Everything is run by a computer, but back then, when a home computer was a novelty item, it was freaking scary. Yeah, yeah, it's paranoia. Well, we're talking a lot about the plot, and because the plot of this is pretty large for a low budget '80s movie or medium budget '80s. It was low movie. budget. I thought it was no, it was low budget. I think it was only really? about five or six million dollars. And they spent it all in the future. Well, but- they sure didn't spend it on that Arnold puppet. No. <laughs> No, when he's cutting out his eye, that is oh my what God. I reference all bad effects to. That was unbelievable. You are you are the person to deal with eyes, Arnie, and, and anything being oh, he hates eyes. eyes. Did that affect you? Oh, I think I was having trouble looking when he was exacto knifing his eye. Although I wanted to know if he went to a hobby shop because he had an entire exacto knife kit there. <laughs> yeah, he does some ready. little modeling work on the side. <laughs> you know, when he's not out chasing yeah. Sarah Connor, he's <laughs> you know putting together models airplanes he keeps his hands busy he does but no that is the puppet was bad i thought he looked better as the full t skeleton than he did as the half arnold half robot i I don't know that stop motion the jason and the argonauts the stop motion on top of the green screen was just deliciously bad yeah uh, it was better when they just didn't show the puppet's legs yeah like stan winston underneath him moving the arms who's stan winston the effects guy oh okay i thought you just made up that name (laughs) no stan winston's a very famous fact yeah this is uh you know yeah and he i think he worked on all of them maybe not the third one but definitely the second one no he did the third too Mm. but uh you know what i find yeah they're clearly effects and you could even argue they're not good effects but i find there's a charm to stop motion effects it does recall movies ray harryhausen sort of developed that that whole notion of how to incorporate it with live action and uh just seeing the uh skeleton climb through the presser i thought it was cute maybe Maybe cute is not what you're going for in a science fiction slasher movie, but I thought it was kind of funny. I think, though, they had a remarkable design of that endoskeleton. Yes. I mean, that still works today. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. It's the evil face and the... No, it's the red eyes and the, teeth. The, the lack of the like back jaw. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the I guess, the mandibles area. Yeah, the, it, it's just a imposing freaking design. Yeah. Robots are scary anyway, though. But beyond it all, I think this movie had some kick-ass action. It was go, go, go almost the entire time. And I loved all the chase scenes in it. You know, when they're in the tunnel. Are there a lot of tunnels in L.A., Stuart? Ah, all right. <laughs> You're hitting on a, a beef of mine, which is that now that I've lived in L.A. for a few years, I don't think of the city the way that I did as a child, which is that every time you saw L.A. as a child, you thought of this sprawling metropolis. And, uh, you know, I know very well where things are now. So that is the Third Street Tunnel. That is downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> We've and been they, through it, Arnie. They, okay, well, they hop all over in the city. One minute they're in Big Bear, which is hours away. The next minute they're downtown. Then they get out of town and then they're back downtown again. It didn't make any sense that the way that the characters move around the city. They did it basically because they were cool places to shoot, and I applaud them for that. And it's fun. It is fun to see L.A. as it looked uh, 20, 25 years ago. I enjoy that. But no, there's not a lot of tunnels in L.A., (laughs) and I don't know why they were in one minute in Big Bear and the next minute they were in Third Street. 
But I really think the action is what got this movie going. And the cool guns, the laser scope, which was actually real, but yet so futuristic in 84. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just all of the action in it and all of the gunfighting. It's so easy to make a boring movie where people are just shooting at each other. But all the chase scenes and the semi-truck and the motorcycle, it all just really worked in this one. But I think what worked for it a lot was, again, like Stuart said, only partway through the movie did you realize why he's killing all the Sarah Connors and Mm -hmm. what's going on. And I think that added to it, because up until that point, it was just perhaps a little horror movie Mm -hmm. or, you know, like some crazy psycho killer. Yeah, I I think it definitely has its roots in slasher films. I think that even if you're a horror guy and you don't necessarily like science fiction, you would really dig this one because it really follows that boilerplate. It's it's horror, sci-fi, and action all really yeah. blended well. Yeah, with a with it's, a nice sort of Zen philosophical thing thrown in there with how everything works out uh, in the timeline. The it's, fate. Yeah, fate. Exactly. It's it's well put together. I have one beef with this movie, though. Just one. I really liked it, but one problem. Reese's death is extraordinarily lame. <laughs> He's trying to use a pipe bomb on the Terminator and doesn't roll away from the explosion fast enough to not be killed by it. I, I think he should have had a better death, given that he's the father of the savior of the future. His death should have been a little bit more than, crap, he didn't get away fast enough. The Terminator should have actively killed him, I think. I think it would have made the Terminator a little bit more dangerous if he'd like, you know, I don't know, punched through his chest or something. Or it would have made his death more noble if he'd stayed behind knowing he was going to die, but to buy Sarah a few more minutes instead of just, oh, crap, misjudge that one. You know what? That it's, and yet somehow it's a, it's a parallel for Michael Bain's whole career because this guy should have been a big star, right? He should have had a big impact on movies. He was an alien. He was in Terminator. He was good looking, action. He could sort of act. I mean, not a great actor, but it seemed like he was going on to bigger things and then he was just gone. Can you think of a movie he was in other than Navy Seals that uh, wasn't made by James Cameron? I can't. He was in a Lifetime TV movie. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like a long <laughs> that's time the ago. the bomb going off. Yeah. I mean, that's the end. <laughs> yeah, it was in the 80s, actually. Oh. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why it didn't work out for him. But yeah, you, he just gets sort of dropped. I mean, Arnie, you said, did you not like his death? I actually had forgotten how he died because it's just so <laughs> abrupt that way. It's like, yeah, all of a sudden they just want to make it about Linda Hamilton against Arnold. And uh, he's just out of the picture real quick. And it is unfortunate because he is a really cool figure and obviously important to the story. He should have had a memorable exit. Yeah, I agree. He should have had something spectacular. And it was just kind of an afterthought. And for Perhaps that does sum up Michael Bean's career, like you guys said. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. He was supposed to be Spider-Man, too, when James Cameron was going to make Spider-Man. But uh, obviously that didn't get made until well past uh, his uh, viability as a teenager. Yeah, um, not really going to work now. I think he was going to be 20-something Spider-Man. Mm. Well, let's talk about Sarah a little bit. We've kind of glossed over her because in this movie, she was at the beginning of her journey, so to speak. And she starts out as this typical American early 20 girl working at a faux big boy. It was Big Jeff. I was wondering what it was. I'm like, I know that that's not big boy, but it was... It even so had a big really... Jeff outside the restaurant. Oh, well, I, I somehow missed that. <laughs> yeah, and she rides, you know, the typical 80s vehicle, the little scooter. The Vespa. Yeah, it's, it's pretty Vespa, I think. <laughs> and she goes from this naive girl to the end of this movie, like Stuart said, this pistol pack and mama, because I think that's a good analogy, but she takes everything that Reese says at 
face value. I mean, she is she has disbelief in why me and no, she does not believe it until after she sees the Terminator shot time and time again, and then he gets back up. Yeah, but still, at that point, you gotta think, okay, I'm just dealing with a bunch of PCP weirdos or something. Well, that's what the cops told her too. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it seemed like she was questioning it again in the police station. It's like mm-hmm. she didn't believe it. Then she saw what the Terminator could do, believed it again, and then the cops made her question it and tried to bring her back down. And then the Terminator comes in and busts up the police. But station. even at like the hotel, she's really naive because she's calling her mom. Yeah. And dumb. She wasn't the brightest bulb in the no. lamp. I. She was a good foil, I think, because one, she didn't take her top off. Oh wait, she did. Yes, yeah, she did. That's and, right, she did. You know, <laughs> during those sexy were time. Pretty nice too. My, you know, I was talking about the Wang earlier. I got to get this in. She was. She had nice boobs when she was young. But she wasn't like the gratuitous horror movie girl. You know. No, that was her roommate. Yeah, that was her roommate. Yes. But I, I think With she made an headphones. interesting transformation. <laughs> those headphones had yeah. to have been loud. Her boyfriend crashed through a plate glass window into a mirror and through a door, yeah. and she yeah. can't hear a thing. That Prince music must have been really turned up. Yeah. What does that say about the sex too? When it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm totally tuning you out now, completely. Well, I she had it on it. during the sex. <laughs> Did she really? Yeah, she was wearing the headphones during the sex. It was just Ouch. a duty. Ouch. Your okay. cock is good. Your words, not so much. It's like, oh yeah, baby, harder. Oh yeah, keep going. Oh baby, you done? All right, I'm gonna make a sandwich. Yeah, she was definitely uh, a character that you were expecting to 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 bite it. <laughs> yeah, but I think when we see Sarah's biggest transformation is in between one and two, and she goes mm-hmm. from still somewhat naive to Sarah Connor and T2, which I think is a big thing, which we'll talk about more. I but... think we really start to see it at the end. I mean, yeah. she's down in Mexico, she's pregnant, she's mm-hmm. recording the tapes. She knows at the end that she has to do something. And again, it's impressive that the actress could be the same actress and they didn't have to replace her with like Xena or something for Terminator <laughs> mm-hmm. 2. They actually got the actress to buff up and continue that transformation. I mean, it must be easier when it's your wife. Honey, you're looking fat. Why don't you go to the gym? I'm making a movie. You know? Um, that wasn't his wife uh, until after. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> his wife was actually a producer and helped make some of his earlier movies. And then... He yeah, has a history he... of this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to judge uh, James Cameron too harshly for his personal failings. But uh, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, yeah, Linda Hamilton was not his wife until she was uber feminist commando. Oh, I thought it was before. My bad. No. But then look who he left her for. The hell? That was... Who is she with? Uh, he <laughs> left her for the girl in Titanic, the granddaughter. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. Yeah, she's not very attractive. I can't even remember her. Exactly. That's my point. But mm. I think it was interesting to see Linda the Hamilton do that and if you follow the Terminator I guess trilogy what it's going to be at the end I'm not sure but that photo makes its way into T2 mm-hmm. and it does not yeah. look like a doctored photo I think it's an actual yeah. photo I it like- ends on, on just the right note because there's this metaphorical storm that's coming everyone says there's a storm coming and then you see her driving into Mexico and these storm clouds coming in I don't know if they get storm clouds in Mexico we don't get them in Los Angeles and uh, it was it's obviously a matte painting uh, but there's something very effective about that special effect uh, that that just seems appropriate and a great transition from what we've just seen to where we're going. 
No, I think that's great. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's leaving the peaceful behind and the future mm-hmm. is what's going to yes. be stormy. And it's going to get hard. rocky down there in Nicaragua. But and, why Mexico? Uh, I mean, I don't. aren't there plenty of illegal guns in L.A.? <laughs> it's a different world in Mexico. And uh, it, crossing the border is a is. It's Are a there big more deal. commando type people in Mexico that she can network with? It's much easier in Tijuana to get guns, I would think. Yes. I would think it's pretty easy in America. <laughs> we didn't talk about this movie's biggest legacy. I'll be back. Oh my gosh, yes. Everybody yeah, associates that with Terminator, but what I found out, I, we were watching The Running Man the other night, and mm-hmm. he looks up at like the game show guy and he goes, I'll be back. And I'm like, how many movies does Arnold say that in? He says it in eight movies. It became Arnold's <laughs> personal tagline. <laughs> yes. But will he be back? He doesn't say it in T3, though. He says, I'm back. And he says, she's back. Yeah, she's back. And then he says, I'm back. He does. Or she'll be back, he says. Yeah. She'll be back and I'm back. Uh Uh-huh. But it's funny that we all associate that line with the Terminator, but he used it in, like, Commando and The Running Man. It's like his his thing. Which is a testament, I think, it's a testament to how big Terminator was for his career. That this changed the game for him. these this this persona these taglines this was it for him this character is what he'll be remembered for more than governor of california that's for sure I, I'm just reminded, though, of a Family Guy skit where Stewie is at a Star Trek convention and Patrick Stewart says, engage, and little Stewie goes, ooh, ooh, he said what he said on the show. I mean, is that <laughs> what everybody's waiting for? Come on, Arnold, say I'll be back. Say I'll be back. Oh, he didn't say it. <laughs> I had forgotten. You know what? I think of these catchphrases as being a part of Terminator 2. That's when he's uh, – uh, there's more comedy in his fish out of water. He doesn't understand – culture and the kid teaches it to him uh in this one i i guess i really wasn't expecting i'll be back i must confess i didn't remember him talking too much and so that whole i'll be back in the police station before he you know drives through it and kills all the cops um i remembered the cops dying but i didn't remember that catchphrase so you know I, I don't know what that means other than maybe i i wasn't as uh tapped into this as an arnold movie as some people but uh well this uh, really did like you say open the doors for him mm-hmm. all right to wrap up our discussion of terminator marjorie stewart do you recommend terminator i do absolutely yes i definitely do it's it's a sci-fi classic it earns that that reputation and i think like i said before uh, you can appreciate it if you like science fiction you can appreciate it if you like action you can appreciate it if you like horror movies it really converges a lot of genres into one pulpy enjoyable good time that is a real homage to john carpenter and maybe better than most of his movies and i also recommend terminator i think it's more intelligent than most shoot 'em up films i think that it has enough sci-fi to get the geek on but yet not so much that if you're turned off by sci-fi it's going to bother you it's a good blend of as we said earlier horror and action and i think that it holds up well here we are 25 years later 25 years wow so marjorie and stuart thank you for joining me to talk about terminator and we'll be back to talk about terminator 2 perfect thank you for joining us for this installment of now playing's look back at the terminator movie series now playing is a venganza media production and is not affiliated with the halcyon company or warner brothers pictures The unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. 
be sure to come back to nowplayingpodcast.com to listen to new installments of our Terminator retrospective, culminating in a weekend of release review of Terminator Salvation, opening May 21st. Until next time, hasta la vista, baby. It's weird that we're doing two series in a row that feature Paul Winfield. Oh, you're right. Uh, uh, Trek 2. He was only yeah. in the first one in Terminator. Yes. And, and he, he was only in the second Star Trek. But he, still, who's He had Paul five Winfield? lines in each, right? I'd say his role was approximately similar. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was not aware that there's an action film ghetto. Uh, Steve Lundgren's in it. Yeah, Steven Seagal <laughs> lives there permanently. Uh, I think I saw Jean-Claude's condo at the corner. Yeah. <laughs> It's there, trust me. And then there's other ones. There's ones that people never even like. Billy Blanks, you know. <laughs> oh, the Tybo guy. Yeah, he did end up breaking out with the Tybo, but yeah, that's a different podcast. I didn't know he was an actor. Yeah, I've seen most <laughs> of his movies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really sad. Yes, I had some time on my hands. <laughs>